1: WNBA and college with a super special guest but first monica
2: darlene let's run it first time in 2021 buckets boards and blocks with monica mcnutt and king mcclure is a presentation of pure hoops media monica is a former georgetown hoyer who likes nothing better than a three in transition and thinks dc ballers are the smartest king is a former three and d bailer baller whose idea of a good time is locking down the other team's best scorer monica king let's do this this week we have a fantastic guest they cover women's sports for espn and have done some incredible feature pieces and i'm super excited that this writer is here they are supremely talented and today January 6th, we found out that Georgia Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock will go into the Senate defeating Kelly Loeffler. They are going to give us so much background of the intersection of sports and how this ties in directly to the WNBA. I'm so pumped for this conversation. So without further ado, Katie Barnes, welcome to Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. Thanks for joining us.
0: Thanks for having me. I'm super pumped.
2: Okay, so... You and I, W fans, King, I got him a W sweatshirt for his birthday. He has a daughter. I'm bringing him in, Katie, I'm bringing him in. I love it, I love it. Um, But today's news, Kelly Loeffler, Raphael Warnock, Raphael Warnock is going to become a US Senator, first Black Democratic Senator in Georgia. On the surface, one might just be like, oh, this is history, this is cool. But please, Katie, just, Take folks back to the sports tie-in that was huge this summer. And I know you're someone that has covered the W very diligently. So I can't wait to hear your perspective.
0: Yeah. So, you know, Kelly Loeffler is more than just a senator that was appointed by Brian Kemp um, following uh, the retirement of another Georgia senator. She also is a co-owner of the WNBA franchise, The Atlanta Dream, um, which she has been involved with uh, initially starting in 2010 and then taking over as um, majority co-owner with Mary Brock in 2011. Uh, so she owns the WNBA team, and uh, if anyone has been paying attention to the W in over the last three years or so, uh, they've been really outspoken on a number of issues. Um, and Kelly Loeffler decided um, as a part of her political campaign that she was going to run really hard to the right, and, you know, came out and said some pretty, inflammatory things about Black Lives Matter in particular. I'm in the middle of uh, the uprisings and protests that occurred after the death of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd this summer. And in response, uh, the players of the WNBA, including her own team, donned Vote Warnock shirts um, and really made it very clear that they were in favor of her losing her Senate seat. And that really, I mean, you know, I think it's important to note that at the time Warnock was polling in the single digits behind another Democratic um, uh, candidate, um, Lieberman, who was like at 9%. And he came back, made it through that uh, primary, which is called the jungle primary, meaning it's just a big primary um, that when the top two go on to uh, compete in a head-to-head matchup in the special elections, which was resolved last night and called early this morning. So it has been a wild few months and the W is pretty front and center the whole time.
2: Oh, oh my God, I am so proud. Like I know there were so many people tweeting today, black women to the rescue again and again and again. And I don't want to trivialize that because this this, to me Katie was so strategic by the W. I do remember when Loeffler statements came down and there were some questions about whether or not Kathy Engelbert, the commissioner could exert power and cause her to either lose her part her ownership in that dream or whatever the case may be ultimately a leadership did not go that way re- that way but what do you think it is that allowed these women to lock in and go this route in terms of taking a stance
0: you know the what I think is so interesting about the W is that when you look at just in general the rise of athlete activism over the course of the last four years going back to I think 2016 um, where we saw the Minnesota Lynx um, come out in, you know, against police brutality. And then, of course, that fall, Con Kaepernick started kneeling. I think that's really when, you know, we had just a true, like, moment for athletes that has just been building, is that the players in the W have been, like, front and center and leading on this issue, on these issues, not just in terms of the things that they say, but really about the stuff that they do. Like, so for me, this isn't just about, you know, yeah, the Atlanta dream and everybody in the W war vote Warnock shirts, and then he won. Like, no, they organized, they campaigned. They very much made a concerted effort to go out and put something in action that they believed in. And whether or not you agree with that stamp, with that stance, like to me, that's really powerful that this group of people you know, really took a stance and mobilized to make that happen. And we haven't seen that level of collective action uh, when it comes to activism and organizing uh, on the part of athletes. I I really, I'm hard pressed to say ever. I mean, I think the closest thing would be some of the actions that were taken in the 60s um, by athletes uh, that were pretty, you know, significant. I don't mean to minimize, you know, the impact um, there, but you know, in terms of a, just a collective entity doing something like this, like to me, that is really what stands out. Um, it's been, I think, really interesting to watch from a reporting perspective, but it's been really powerful in terms of just like the impact that people can have when they want to. Like, these aren't wealthy people, you know, like nobody's out here with like LeBron James money. Like, this was just blood, sweat, and tears and like real organizing. Um, and in that sense, I think it's really inspiring.
1: So with the success that they've seen as far as the actions that they've taken, like what do you think is next for this group? Because it seems like these women can do almost anything, like anything they put their minds to that they, they can achieve. So so what do you think is next for the WNBA?
0: You know, I think that's a really great question. And and I don't know the answer to that. Um, not to like duck the question. I <laughs> just like, you know, I think. In many ways, you know, I think time will tell. what I think has been really great about the W is, you know, these players have organized, they have achieved something pretty great in terms of just the scale and the scope of it. Um while also having a cultural moment, which is really cool. So like not only is War Not going to the Senate, but like the orange hoodie is the fashion statement of the year uh, when it comes to, like as named by the sports business journal like that's pretty awesome um and so for me i think it's going to be really interesting to see how as we start to hopefully see the pandemic wane and folks re-engage with sport in um hopefully in-person ways what that's going to mean for the WNBA. Um, i think they could be you know really poised to have a special Um, next couple of seasons.
2: Oh man, King, that was a really good question. I'm thinking about that too, but I think for me, Katie, when did you start following the W?
0: Oh man, when I was a kid. I grew up, so it was 1997 was Mm -hmm. the first season. I was six years old. I was turning seven that year. I grew up in Indiana in a really small town, and every year my dad would drive me two hours to go to the fever games. I would get to go to like one or two a year. And I think I really remember that starting when Sue Bird was drafted. I was a huge right. Sue Bird fan as a kid. And so I got to go to the Seattle game every year. That was very exciting. Right. <laughs> yeah, so um, ever since I was little.
2: So I'm in there with you. I remember when the league launched, like when Hannah Storm was doing play-by-play and like Robin Roberts was mm-hmm. out at games and the Houston Comets where Cynthia Cooper was my girl. Anyway, yeah. I say all that to say, I know when I've been asked this question in various conversations in terms of the qualifications that the W has, it is such a unique league of identities that are often marginalized, right? (laughs) Whether you wanna talk gender, sexuality, race, whatever, um, that their compass is not, it's ahead of everybody else's in many ways because they are moving from a place of this is the life that I live and so many of us live and we can relate as opposed to compassion that is tapped into when you see another person dealing with it, because they are dealing with it. And so I think the way you answer that question is is so true, because the compass is, is internal and is the collective voice of these women, which make this league so incredibly powerful to me.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, the solidarity is real. And I think what is so important about the W is that these players have worked through a lot of these things. Like, you know, we're having you know conversations about gender, about sexuality, about race. Like, Within the league, like they've already put in so much of that work to get to a place of solidarity. Um, Like, you know, I think about, you know, when I was younger, like some of the ads that would come out, like about the W, where you have like these hyper feminized women, even though they were like really gay. Like it was just, and there was. Yes. And like a lot of that has shifted and changed. And you can see that the W as an entity has embraced, you know, has embraced its players in all of what that means Mm -hmm. in terms of the variety of gender expressions, the variety of sexual orientations, of gender identities, um, of races. And, you know, of course, that is going to be predominantly sitting at an intersection of Black women, of queer Black women. And so with that comes, I think, just, you know, what has, Really happens is tremendous amount of work in terms of getting to a place of solidarity and willingness to have collective action, and I think that's huge when we see you know white players show up for their black teammates, where when we see um, you know straight players turn up for their queer teammates, like that really matters, um, and I think you know we see that play out in a collective way, um, and it's what makes it so powerful as far as what they've done.
2: Yeah, it's it's awesome. I started my morning show today, super giddy because of all of it, and I think being connected to women's basketball. I don't know, I'm trying to think of a moment that I think I've probably been prouder in terms of the impact of it all. And so shout out to the W. Of course that aligned, originally that was not the reason that we invited you onto the (laughs) pod, but I'm glad that you're here because you are certainly well-versed and have done a ton of work in that space. Right now the W is not in play, but what we do have in play in the midst of a pandemic is women's college basketball as well as men's college basketball. So I wanna open up the conversation there. And in fact, before we go there, Katie, I know you covered the W this past year through the bubble. From your perspective as a reporter, what was the most challenging part of doing that
0: work through a pandemic? Oh, well, I mean, it changes everything. You know, I'm a feature writer. And so, you know, if I wanted to write a big story about someone I was having a hard time getting to them I could just go to the locker room <laughs> and like you know just kind of chat them up a little bit I could get on a plane just show up in Phoenix do what I need to do can't do that like it's completely different you know it's, I think and I mean I think that's been a struggle for sports media in general like access is already difficult and like mm-hmm. now there have just been completely different barriers erected um, and that's definitely had an impact on storytelling. Um, but I think that as we roll out the vaccine and things hopefully will abate a little bit, I think we'll see um, that be that turn around a little bit.
2: Hope so.
1: Okay, do you cover women's college basketball? I'm actually starting to become a fan. So I have to admit, in quarantine, I started to become a fan of the WNBA. Now I'm starting to become a fan of the women's college game, okay? Oh, yeah. And my alma mater, shout out! over oh, shout out to the Bears, Baylor Bears. They were supposed to play tomorrow. Today's Wednesday, Thursday. right? Yes. Play tomorrow, Thursday. I the know. The game got canceled. Oh, is, is that one? Not even one. Is that the top rivalry? Starting to become the top rivalry in women's college basketball.
0: Oh man, UConn and Baylor. I, that's a big one. I, you know, I think as far as sustained excellence over the course of the last 10 years. I think, uh, you know, UConn-Baylor, UConn-Notre Dame, I think are the two big ones that I could think of where there have been, uh, well, one where the rivalry is just not lopsided, to be perfectly honest. Um, And, you know, the Bears have on UConn, and so that makes it really interesting and fun. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I think right now that was one of the biggest games that I was looking forward to, and it's a total bummer um that it's not able to happen and of course um you know thinking about uh coach Kim Mulkey um but yeah that that's a real loss um and of course you know with this pandemic it's just been brutal when it comes to the season for sure
2: uconn Stanford is that one lopsided i'm trying to think in my head I, it
0: favors i mean I, yeah, there are a couple of instances where like stanford like totally um, uh, you know won i, I think There was the game uh, where Stanford actually broke UConn's streak, um, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, about half a decade ago, Um, and so that was a big one. But in general, uh, when UConn and Stanford have played, like there was a period of time, about two or three years, where it wasn't super lopsided, but right now UConn's gotten the better of Stanford, and they haven't played in a while. So I would love to see a UConn-Stanford matchup. I think that would be great. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the Cardinal is looking tough. Uh, This is a you know, if we get a tournament, I think it's going to be a really interesting one to see simply because we don't actually have that much information going in because we haven't seen a lot of these matchups. And frankly, people are having a hard time playing because Mm of uh, just, you know, the rate that COVID is spreading and, um, you know, what that's forcing teams to do in terms of pausing activities.
2: What we do know is that Fran Believey is an in game dunker, not just a highlight dunker. Oh, listen, I saw
1: that. that was impressive.
0: Very Believe- okay. <laughs> Welcome to the Fran Believey train. <laughs> I just want y'all to know this girl has been doing this for a long time. First of all, she didn't even start playing basketball until she was a freshman in high school, mm. and she was 5'10 at the time dunking like and she could dunk then and she was dunking like dodgeballs yeah. like this girl is barely over six feet tall and she her first in-game dunk was her sophomore year of high school like she don't play it's only a matter of time Crazy. I love it Crazy. I can't wait till she like throws one down in traffic does a little reverse dunk I'm <sighs> waiting for a 360 Can I can't have- wait
2: can't get enough of it okay so it's funny we went to we went to Fran we talked about UConn Katie some you are a features writer your features are incredible um but let's talk UConn and Paige who is some well a couple things with UConn Paige and AZ because I think your most recent feature work that I saw was AZ and then the piece you did on Maya so we got to get all into that as well (laughs) Um, But let's let's start with Paige and AZ, the current current crop and the coming crop for UConn. Uh, Talk to me about Paige, because King knows all about Paige, courtesy of Instagram.
0: (laughs) Listen, a lot of people know about Paige, courtesy of Instagram, and that's huge. Like, I think we talk about uh, the growth of fandom of women's basketball. Like, the absolute explosion of Instagram, I think, has been huge for getting people in the door in a different way. And then also them just like following these women over the course of their careers. And like Paige just has so much swag. She talks a lot of crap. I love it. Love I love it. She's super competitive and an absolute sweetheart. Um, I, you know, I think there's a lot of hype around her coming into Yukon and to see her live up to it. Like just in general, as a reporter, that's been a joy to watch. Um, you never know what's going to happen when you write about, you know, the number one prospect at like, oh, she's a generational talent, which we kind of throw around a lot these days. And, uh, you know, you want to see if it's going to, if like you place the right bet and listen, she's no joke.
2: She's no joke. Um, Okay. So that's Paige. Next up is AZ, who actually, her mom went to Georgetown. I know her mom. She comes from a great family. She's raised in the DMV area, which is home for me as well. Mm-hmm. Um I'm trying to remember, I guess Paige and Haley over at Louisville kind of had the same sort of excitement, but I feel like for AZ, like we, we just, so many people have talked about AZ and you've had this incredible access.
0: Oh yeah. And we're not even done yet. So one of the great things about that news, uh, the like newsy feature that, you know, I did uh, announced AZ's decision was that we also announced a forthcoming really big feature. And so we're in the midst of working on that and that's really exciting. So Keep your eyes out. Uh, But yeah, I mean, AZ, you know, I think what's really interesting and people talk about Paige and AZ together, of course, Paige is already at UConn, AZ will be going to UConn. um, And they're very, very close. They're really good friends. But, you know, Paige is someone who I think got a lot of excitement very suddenly in the latter part of her high school career. AZ is someone who has been playing under this, this spotlight with this attention that has been building for years like since she was in seventh and eighth grade like she has been playing with this hype for you know a long time and then i think the fact like you know she tears her acl near the end of uh well after her sophomore season and you know the early part of aau season and because of the pandemic hasn't really been able to come back fully so she's in a really interesting and unique position, um, but make no mistake, she is extremely talented, um, and just an absolute stud. So I'm really excited to see those two together.
2: Yeah, I, I can't. I even think, and to your point, like the injury and coming back, like I just, just the injury as even another layer to her incredible story. I can't wait to see in action. Hmm. Oh,
1: yeah. So when you look at UConn, the history of the the greatness, when you look at the Brianna Stewarts. Uh, Mariah Jefferson, Maya Moores, and Paige Becker's coming in. At the end of her career, this is Uh what's interesting about Uh the the women's college game, they have to stay for three, at least. Mm -hmm. So, at the end of her career, where do you see her ranking amongst the greats of UConn?
0: You know, I think she has the ability to be right up up there. You know, when you walk into the Worth Champion Center, which is um, the UConn practice facility, they have... uh, these they literally call the pillars of the program and it's like these glass panels that feature all of the greats and it's like Rebecca Lobo, Diana Taurasi, Sue Bird, Maya Moore, Tina Charles, uh Brianna Stewart yeah so it's six and you know I think Paige very well could prove herself to be among them um you know they all achieved really high level things um with Varying compositions, I think Brianna Stewart is someone who obviously won four championships, but also played with, you know, three or four of some of the best teams um, that UConn has really ever put together. Um, You know, Diana Taurasi played on arguably the greatest college team ever assembled in the 2002 season alongside Sue Bird, but then won two additional championships with nothing. Uh, Like, that's a real thing. You know, I think Maya Moore played with two other UConn greats and so, you know, Paige is going to have an opportunity where she's going to play with, you know, her buddy, AZ. Um, and we'll see what they do this season. But at the end of it, I mean, Yukons, they're going to be all right. So we're going to see what Paige is actually able to accomplish. But she's somebody whose skill set um, is amplified uh, with the talent that is assembled around her. And Gino has done a really great job, again, of reloading. And so I don't think that there's any reason to think that Paige won't walk away with one, maybe two, maybe three championships. We'll have to see.
2: I wonder how the pandemic might play into that. I, I knock on all the woods, say your prayers, cross fingers, all like that good stuff that we get to a tournament this year. but
0: um. I mean, yeah, that, that's the big wild card, right? Like, who knows if we're going to get a tournament? Who knows if people are going to – like, if teams are actually going to be tested heading into that tournament? Mm-hmm. You know, the great thing about March Madness is it's one and done. It's survive and advance. Well, if you've barely played all season, that's not – the <laughs> best scenario you want a series (laughs) you want the opportunity to like kind of mess it up once or twice before you have to get it right and so to walk into a venue where nobody really knows how sharp everyone else is going to be um, and there's less film and there's less opportunities for preparation like it is a recipe for chaos which is great as a viewer Um, but you know if I'm playing on those teams you know it's it's a little nerve-wracking, for sure.
2: You know what, Katie? Even in that, as having come up and played against those Maya Moore teams and, and, like, my claim to fame is that we lost to UConn by six in Philadelphia in the NCAA tournament my senior year, and we were right there. Like, we were right there. That was the <laughs> thing. Hey, how, 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 how much did Maya Moore give you? Um, I don't even think it was actually Maya that went off. I feel like it was um, Lauren. Who was the point guard that year?
1: No, I don't, don't avoid the question. How was this
2: I don't remember if I I think it was no I think it was Lauren Dixon right their point guard yeah but she was just like this big so here's the thing Katie we ran a what would be considered a 122 press like that was our signature when I was in school and so I was at the top of that press and I literally will never forget being at the top of the press at the half court and Gino being like go buy her because all I did was like get low and get long but for real I can't move my feet like that So she started just attacking, like, and she—I just remember she was getting, like, she was crushing our our defense that year. I mean, (laughs) anyway, um, maybe that's my personal memory. Maybe it wasn't my—that was actually the problem. (laughs) I say all of this to say, um, when I think of—it's interesting that you mentioned those pillars because I wonder, and not that you know—I don't—I know you didn't establish the pillars, but like, why those six? Because there are others. Like, I think of Swin who's like amazing and incredible. True. Like, I'm just kind of curious, cause then I know after Brianna, you know, they go through their law where UConn maybe isn't UConn that we're accustomed to. And so to your point about the mayhem, there was a time to me where the mayhem wouldn't have mattered because the top teams were that much better than the rest of the field. But mm-hmm. This year, I don't think, I think you're right. The mayhem could be really interesting.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I think parody is certainly a real thing um, mm-hmm. that has increased uh, within women's college basketball. And that's just been fantastic to see you know, when uh, we were talking, like, you know, about 2002, South Carolina was not a program that anybody right. was worried about. Mm-hmm. Baylor wasn't really a program that people were worried about, but they got real worried by the time yep. 05 rolled around. Yep. Okay, don't come at me. Just- <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, I, it, it wasn't like, it was Yukon, Tennessee, Duke, And that was it. And maybe Stanford, but like, you know, now there are so many more programs, like the fact that, you know, we're talking about NC state as a possible one seed, Um, you know, South Carolina has, is, you know, really competing every single year. Baylor is right up there. Notre Dame is going to get back to right up there. You know, it's it's, yes. Oregon, like Oregon, nobody was thinking about Oregon 10 years ago. Like it's a completely different landscape and that's been really great for the game. Um, and so I think that's why, like, you know, I think you're right. Five years ago, 10 years ago, certainly the mayhem wouldn't have mattered. Like, Mm -hmm. and it might this year. And that's really great. I, you know, I think over the course of the last five years, we've seen a tremendous, I mean, we've just seen some tremendous moments within the women's tournament that were surprising. And a lot of them have had to do with UConn losing, And, you know, that's always surprising when it happens. Um, But it's, I think it is good for the game in terms of uh, seeing who's going to win another one. I also don't think it's terrible for the game if UConn comes back and gets another one or two or three or four. Like, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's really interesting to talk about. Um, But yeah, it's, it's exciting for sure. So
2: exciting.
1: So we talked about some of the outstanding freshmen You know, in the men's game, one thing we're seeing is that experience wins and the upperclassmen is what wins you ball games, especially in a crazy year like this in 2021 with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Would you you say it's the same thing in women's basketball when you look at the NCAA tournament and the craziness and not knowing who's gonna play who? Do you think experience is what's going to tell the tale?
0: I think this year probably experience more than anything else is gonna matter more than it might have in other years. Um, I do think it matters. I mean, it's of course it does. I think especially like when you look at a format like the NCAA tournament, like you want people who've been there before. Um, you know, I think that's why. You know, I think being tested as a team is so important. Like you haven't had to play from behind before. All of a sudden, you get down in a winner go home game, and you know the winner goes to the Final Four, and the loser never gets there. You you're, you're going to want some experienced players who've actually who know what that feels like to get you through those moments. Um, and I think that's why, you know, Stanford is just such a beast this year. You know, they returned a huge chunk of their roster. And even though there wasn't a tournament last year, which I also think is gonna be a very interesting wrinkle, a lot of folks never got to cut their teeth in March. Um, and so in that sense, they are inexperienced, even if this is the se- their second year, um, you know, playing college basketball, like, I think that's going to also be a bit of a curveball. You know, your seniors and your juniors are going to matter um, in a way that they may not have previously, because your sophomores also don't know what it's like um, to play under those lights, same as your freshmen.
1: Mm. That's real. So let's take away Paige Baker's out the equation. <laughs> who is who is the most impressive player that you've seen this year?
2: Player or freshman? You are you just opening the whole? Okay. I mean, it
1: might be Paige Becker. I mean, averaging 18. So I'm saying, let's take her out the equation. You're so funny. You can't say Paige.
0: (laughs) 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 Well, another freshman I do think has actually been really impressive um, has been Haley Van Lith at Louisville. Uh, She is just a baller, man. And you know, she also had a bunch of hype and has a huge Instagram following. And I hadn't really seen her play that much. I was like, "Mm, she's really that good. Like, is she really going to be all that? Whoo, man. She made me sorry for even thinking the question. Yeah. She is the real deal. And she's a lot of fun. Um, But then, you know, I think like any time now that like Haley Jones is much more, is, you know, back to being more healthy, I think she's somebody who I've just been really happy to see play again over at Stanford. Um, And, you know, just shout out to Fran for throwing it down all day.
2: Fran, Fran is certainly beast mode. Haley. Van Lith has been a very interesting case. Cause I was with you and not even not even from a hater standpoint, I'm like, is this gonna translate? Like, she's not overwhelmingly big. Like she about to go up against Dana and them. Like, is it? And oh baby.
0: Yes. I know, <laughs> I'm like, she's five, seven. Like what's she like, she don't got nothing for Dana. Yeah. I was wrong. It I was so bad. wrong.
2: It is completely translated. Okay, I want to go back to some of your other features though, Katie, because I love a good feature. Like I was a kid back in the day, you probably can relate, Sports Illustrated for women, like just like the long form stuff. Um, This year, Maya Moore, another example of the WNBA truly being led by their heart. First of all, she stepped away from the game at the height of her game. And have I missed it? We've no word on whether or not she's coming back this season.
0: We do not know. Uh, I imagine, you know, if pattern holds, it's been around this time. January, February—that she has made that announcement. So we may find out soon, but mm-hmm. we do not know.
2: Okay, so in addition to stepping away to focus on—I um, don't—I hate—I don't like the word social justice, Katie. What, 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 she's focused on criminal reform specifically.
0: I mean, specifically, she was focused on getting Jonathan Irons out of prison. Sure. Specifically, <laughs> specifically, I think you know, a lot of people say she stepped away for social justice or she stepped away for criminal justice reform and that is true although i will say that at every opportunity um, when asked about what she's next going to do around criminal justice reform she always comes back to jonathan so like that has been her focus since she left and i'm interested to see whether she comes back or if she chooses to retire or to put off coming back for another year or whatever she's doing like what she's actually going to do next
2: okay so just to give the full story though she stepped away she was focused on jonathan irons freedom he was freed Mm-hmm. Last year, um, and then the twist on the story was they got married. They sure did. You had a, again a, a sitting right up front with your pen and paper or whatever techniques you use. You had an incredible feature on this whole thing. Uh, one, Katie, when did you kind of gain her trust? Because I I hear that Maya's kind of like a unicorn in terms of letting people.
0: Well, the funny uh, story about that feature is I never actually interviewed Maya for the story. Mm. Oh. Yeah. So, um, in terms of like that access, I was never granted access. I just kept going to the courthouse. Oh, okay.
2: great reporting.
0: <laughs> it's true. I was like at the public space. So, I was just there the whole time. Um, and, you know, to be clear, like, you know, she, she did like kick me out of her group. Like, I knew, like, I had conversations with her godparents. Like, I was around. I, you know, Maya was always very cordial and friendly to me. We always greet each other and said hello but well, like I never did like an hour long sit down interview with her or Jonathan or her godparents for that matter. Okay. Wow.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. well, the, I enjoyed the feature though. <laughs> Thank you. It's like, and you didn't know that. So I guess I, I didn't look, like, uh, Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, there weren't any real like quotes, but it just had so many details and you were the closest person to the situation. And it felt like you had to
0: talk to her. So, I mean, I was there and like, you know, we I, I asked her, I think a total of four questions for the piece.
2: Mm. Wow. So, okay. Then let me ask you this of the features that you've done, Katie, what are you most
0: proud of in your body of work? Oh, well, I mean, I think that one, like, I think in terms of um, just the importance of it Mm -hmm. um, in the reporting skill that it required and the writing skill that it required. Um, And, you know, it was, and it was an investment, you know, I lived and breathed that story for about 10 months. Um, It was brutal. I went to Missouri five days different times. There was one day that I went to Missouri for a five-minute hearing, got on a plane direct back to Hartford, to get to Hartford in time, for time of the Yukon USA basketball game that was happening on January 27th of 2020, um, where they were, and Maya was actually, it was the only hearing that Maya was not at. And so I got back, got, the, got my credential in time for halftime to get to a press conference that Maya was having about her work with Jonathan Irons that was a wild day. Everything had to go perfectly and it did. Um, And so just like things like that of like the actual mechanics of reporting that piece um, are things that I'm very, very proud of. And then also like, I really enjoy writing things that like, that just say something, Mm -hmm. you know, like I don't wanna just write a happy-go-lucky profile of so-and-so who did such and such. Um, Like for me, I got into writing because I think writing can be very powerful Um, And I like sitting at the intersection of like sports and society in that way. And so being able to talk about um, Jonathan Irons case and raise awareness around what actually happened to him um, Mm -hmm. on such a, on such a large platform, I think was really important. Um, You know, it wasn't just like, it's one thing when you hear Maya and Jonathan talk about the lack of physical evidence, it's another thing to actually read the testimony and read the accounts and sit there in the courtroom hearing him cry because he's finally been validated for the first time in two decades. Like those moments are um, just really important to document. And I was really honored that I had the opportunity to do that. Then I had the backing of an organization that put me on a plane five times. Yeah, Mm. yeah,
2: that's that's beautiful, Katie. And the piece was really well done. It it was so... um, I don't know if humanizing is the right word but you could like to your point the details you could feel it and it, it put intimate detail name nuggets to this story that's like like you said oh she freed somebody from prison first of all we don't take freeing people from
0: prison lightly at all first of oh all. no, <laughs> um and then like the details like especially in missouri i mean like i think to me one of the wild like just like the actual like wildest moments of that story you know have was actually the period of time from march 9th when um daniel green vacated jonathan's convictions to when he was actually released which i believe was july 1st and in that like three month period july march april May, a long time as many months four months okay. but in that period of time i mean the state of missouri fought tooth and nail like and appealed and appealed and appealed like they brought the full weight Of what they were able to do to try and keep him in prison and rather than just admit that he had spent 23 years there and he didn't need to like it was just a wild thing to see and i know how frustrating it was for maya and jonathan and all of his supporters and advocates and his family but like to know that that was happening and to be answering these questions of like Oh, well, this is gonna take two weeks and then they're gonna appeal again and that could take another month. And the pandemic was happening. And so, and as we know, like if you live in shared settings indoors, you're more vulnerable to contracting the pandemic, like to contracting COVID. And so then him also being at risk for that, like all of that together was, it was just so much. And, I, you know, as a reporter, not everything makes it into the piece. Um, but that period of time was truly wild, um, to experience. I, it was definitely really challenging and really emotional, um, and something that like, I I never really thought I would see so up close. Mm -hmm. Mm. Man.
1: Right. Well, kudos to you. Cause 10 months on the story. My ADD would not have allowed me oh to do God.
0: that. Listen, <laughs> that. I don't, like every once in a while, I'll be like, okay, I'm gonna do a quick story. It's gonna be four months. but <laughs> My first feature, start to finish, was two years. I. Oh my gosh. What was that? I don't, I don't know if what? I was a fan back
2: then. What was the first feature?
0: It was a feature on two high school uh, transgender athletes um, that published in hmm. May of 2018. Um and now i'm writing a book about them it just that story has like never ended but it did change my life so okay,
1: okay. i'm curious I want, I want to hear about that about what the the story i'm i'm very curious
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah I'm very about. Curious. <laughs> um, so that piece was about um two high schoolers one is mac Beggs, um who's a wrestler he's a transgender boy meaning he was assigned female all at nice. birth yep saw that um and he became like big news after he won um state uh, the girls state championship in texas because in texas the rule is that you have to uh, um compete in gender like in the gender category that is in accordance with your birth certificate so mm-hmm. for him that meant he had to compete in girls wrestling which texas is also one of only a handful of states that has separate wrestling for boys and girls which is its own separate issue um And so that was happening. And simultaneously, Andrea Yearwood, who is a transgender girl, um, was competing in Connecticut. Um, And at the time, when I was following her for this piece, it was her freshman season into her sophomore season. Um, And so she, uh, in the state of Connecticut, uh, you can compete in the category that is appropriate for you as dictated by your school district. And they cannot discriminate based on gender identity or expression. And no legal or medical intervention is required, meaning you do not have to be on hormones in order to compete in the girls category if you are a transgender girl. Um, And that case has really actually become a national like firestorm. There are all kinds of um, litigation that's pending right now. Um, And what was interesting is that when I did that piece, you know, Mac was the one who was getting all kinds of attention um, because the Texas state legislature was going after him in a pretty meaningful way. Um, And uh, so I spent about a year sort of following him for that. And then we did a documentary, um, a documentary short with ESPN 30 for 30. um, And then over time, the real issue became Andrea. Uh, and then Terry Miller, who was a tr- another transgender girl in Connecticut, and they're often referenced um, in litigation and legislation uh, where they're out trying to outlaw um, transgender girls from competing in sports. Wild.
2: Hmm. Wow, King, that's a lot.
0: Oh, it is a lot. I left out all the science. We don't, it, It's a lot. This is like all I do. <laughs> OK,
2: so I want to come full circle because on the pod, not only do I love celebrating um, my guests for their work or our guests for their work, but just, um, just not the actual work, but just the work and who you are. And I saw in 2020, not all terrible things, Katie, a certain famous lady that has like networks and TV shows and all this kind of stuff, shouted you out for one of your, it was, was it a personal essay, it wasn't a full on feature. No, but, it was uh, a
0: personal, yeah, it was an essay. Oprah, you made Oprah's yeah. list, Katie. Oh. I know I did. It was crazy.
1: <laughs> yeah, you you doing a thing out here, then. It was wild. Oh. I
0: screamed when I saw it and just immediately started to cry because it was Oprah. <laughs> like, okay. I was <laughs> like, wait, what? I'm like, on like <laughs> Oprah's list. It was absolutely nuts. I, uh, it was just so unexpected. um Yeah, I had no idea like what that that was gonna happen. Like, I, I'm i just, and I don't know. I'm like, so what happened was apparently is like, somebody showed Oprah something I wrote and she decided it was good. <laughs> and like that alone is enough to like, make my entire decade, I think. I don't even know. It um, was amazing.
2: It, but King's not familiar. So give us the, give us the scoop. I know we've got you in here forever, but we're having such a blast. you are educating us with all these great details.
0: <laughs> so it, I wrote about it. Um, You know, it was a piece on race in America um, and my experience with race growing up in rural Indiana um, in direct response to um, the Milwaukee Bucks and the WNBA teams and the NBA and then the MLB, um, you know, suspending play after in protest of um, Jacob Blake being shot and I, uh, you know, focused a lot on my experience in sports, um, being called the N-word by, you know, people um, about, you know, growing up in the middle of nowhere and really, you know, where I grew up is Klan country. I mean, you know, there are just all these experiences that I have had with race that I think a lot of people, certainly people that I've worked with, I think folks who live in the Northeast just... We don't really know what it's like in, a, in other parts of the country. Um, and so I wanted to share some of that. Um, and I'm sure like as black people, like we've all experienced certain levels of racial violence um, in ways that like white folks just don't really think about or consider. But mm-hmm. um, I'm like, and this stuff, it wasn't, you know, like I'm not a particularly old person. Like I just turned 30. So a lot of the stuff that I was writing about happened when I was like in the 90s and 2000s, like yeah. wasn't that long ago. So that was really what the essay was about.
2: Well, it was beautiful. I mean, everything you put out is fire, but it was beautiful. <laughs> the fact that Oprah shot it out. I'm like, NBJ, look at Oprah. We're on, we're on. Katie, <laughs> <wrong."> <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> all right, King. I think if you don't have any more questions, King, I think you have to give Katie the signature sign-off on life and liberty and all things basketball.
1: The bucket, board, and block.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm not a pro at this. This is my first time doing okay. this. So you really put really me on the spot. New- Oh man. All right, let's go. First, before we do this, I gotta say I, I love your vibe and I love your energy, Katie. So, <laughs> so shout out to you for real, for real. You're doing your oh, thing.
0: Thank you. I appreciate okay. it. Y'all were great. I had a blast. So we'll have to do this again sometime. Definitely.
1: Of course. Yeah, like Bruce says, you can become a repeat offender.
0: <laughs> repeat offender. Yeah.
1: We gotta get a new phrase for that,
0: Bruce. <laughs> <It's> like <laughs>
2: Katie writes right. stories about people to step <laughs> free from prison. We can't use that. <laughs> I
0: know, right? I'm like, yikes.
1: <laughs> Look, OK, so you know what? I'm going to switch it. I'm going to be a little different, Monica. I am going to make her say a block. We normally do a bucket board, a block. We normally give you the option. But today, I want to hear a block, OK? What a block is, is something that you just don't want to see anymore. Like, you know, think of like the Kid Bane Blocking shots or Lauren Cox blocking shots. Get that out of there. Don't return that. What in 2021 is your block?
0: Oh, man. Well, this is, I've been thinking about this all morning. And what I think, you know, we don't need to do ever again is like, yes, we should absolutely celebrate, you know, Black women, Black organizers for the work that has been done in Georgia and elsewhere across the country but what I don't need to see is like the fetishizing of black women as saviors. Like mm. we didn't save you. Like oh. we're just out here trying to save ourselves. Like <laughs> leave me alone. Okay. So you stay you, do- Abrams alone. <laughs> okay.
2: So Katie, I'm actually glad you brought that up because I've been thinking about this all morning too. Okay. And usually you would drop your block and we would leave it on, leave it alone. But we're having such a great conversation. I, w- I want to go back and forth on this one.
1: Look, this is gonna get deep. I, I can already a
2: little bit. Probably, a little bit. <laughs> so the fetishizing is certainly dangerous. It's obnoxious. It's out of place. But I do feel like, Katie, we we can't completely dismiss it without acknowledging part of the historical context, right? Mm-hmm right? Like Mammy, the name that is, is not necessarily a positive, but those roles in our history are very real. And you could argue that all the historians would have died in, of starvation if not for the Black women that actually raised them, right? Yes, you're not wrong. Okay, so I, I do think that there's a respectful way to do it. And you're right, fetishizing period probably needs to go. But I, I just hope that, is there room for a conversation on how you do this properly and also acknowledge. The history, because these—I mean, black women do save America.
0: I mean, yeah. So I think there's a difference between like you and I talking about black women saving America,
2: right?
0: And like white women on Twitter, just like erect a statue of Stacey Abrams on my lot, like, true. True. (laughs) Like, if we're gonna be real, I'm like, listen, like, you know, I think we're in this really interesting place where I think there's a lot of folks. And I think this, you know, we can talk about this as like, you know, part of the racial reckoning in general. Like there are a lot of people who really and truly want to engage with, like engage on topics of race in meaningful ways Mm -hmm. that um, help to reconcile and rectify the wrongs and the ills of the past. I understand that 100%. All I'm saying is that there is... A weird thing happening right now, where like, black women will save us is like a social justice catch-all to, in some mm-hmm. ways, okay. signal I'm woke and I'm with it. Yeah, and I'm mm-hmm. like, no, like that ain't it. Like right. that's not that's not it. Or like, you know, it always happens was like, give black women all your coins, give black women their flowers, and I'm like, listen, we should absolutely back up a truckload of flowers, like for the w i'm not saying we shouldn't do that okay i'm also saying that like th- like there's it's just in a place where i find it to be a little weird right now it's performative and yes it's extremely performative that's okay. what i want thank you that's the word i want okay it's I got you. super performative and i'm like i just would like to leave that over here alone like let's not bring this into 2021 beyond this morning That was dope.
2: Thanks so much to our terrific, thought-provoking and thorough guest, ESPN feature writer Katie Barnes. They were so generous with their time. I I really enjoyed that conversation. Thanks also to our producer, Bruce Bernstein, and our superstar editor, Tom Phillips. Please check out all of our Pure Hoops media shows. This week, Mike Wise has his 100th show. Woo! Happy birthday, Mike, or happy 100th show. (laughs) His good pal Harvey Ayrton and Frank Isola join him. Full Court with Fisher and Kay has Morgan Uber talking Big 12 Hoops. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto and Aaron have ESPN's Nick Friedle talking Steph Curry, 62-point performance, Woo! and the Golden State Warriors. BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman have the Pure Hoops podcast on Friday, and I'm back with King next Thursday for another edition of Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing.
1: Listen up, listen up, listen up. COVID-19 is still a problem in this world. Trust me, I had it. You don't want it, Gary. Please do all you can to protect yourself and protecting others by wearing a mask, Do the basics, like washing your hands or social distancing, and just being considerate utmost of those around you. Please keep the nurses, doctors, and hospital personnel in your prayers. They are truly the superheroes in this time. A lot of people think that athletes are the superheroes. Well, the people on the front line, they matter too. Keep working to make our society more inclusive like we saw the WNBA, let's follow their lead and follow their example. Hey, until next week, should I do it? No, nah, I'm not gonna do it, I'll pass to Monica. Monica, go ahead and do it.
2: <laughs> Ain't nothing changed in 2021, this is my part. Enjoy your hoops. Buckets, boards, and blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.